Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Vibe higher, bitch. Vibe higher. Everybody, welcome to Superficial Magic, the Bucket Hat Edition. I am here with Natasha Malin. She wrote a book called The First 50. It's fucking phenomenal. Natasha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so lots to talk about today. Number one, it's always been a dream of mine to write a book, as it is probably a dream of every single human walking the face of the earth. You actually did it, and not only did you do it, it's really good, and it's. You said it was like number one on Amazon something. I, can't, I we were number one in new releases um, in our genre. That's crazy. Four days after publishing, so it was crazy and it was cool. And whatever algorithm made that happen, I'm very grateful. Thank uh, you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> how does one do something like this? Tell us how. Spoiler alert: I don't know. Um, I just wrote a book and <laughs> did absolutely nothing that you're supposed to do to get it published. I wrote it, I finished it, and then I sat on it. And at the time, I was a nanny, and my job was ending because the girl had grown up and didn't really need me I know need this little much. girl, and that is so sad. Yeah. I want her to stay small forever. Okay. Same. Yeah. But I was at her um, preschool shooting the shit with some parent friends of mine and ours and one of them kind of offhandedly was like well what's up with that book you wrote and I was like absolutely nothing I'm just sitting on it and doing nothing and he's like great well I know a publisher if you ever want to you know have me connect you let me know and I was like okay well consider yourself let known <laughs> yeah you're like mm, no yes yeah and so from that moment on it was like a fast track to getting published I think it helped that the book isn't a piece of shit right um but apparently that's not how you do it or no. how it's done no and at the same time like growing up in LA I think that is how you do it and how it is done like a lot of this town is who you know and whether or not you're able to like jump in the river of destiny and just let go and get on it okay say more jump in the river of destiny okay I hear that in my soul, goosebumps. Kind of just show up, do the shit, and be open? Partially, yes. But, like, you know, I always kind of default to the Luke Perry story where it's like Luke Perry was just, you know, working construction and then was discovered. More Imagine or less. Luke Perry coming to work, like, construction on your house. Yeah. I mean, down. I'm yeah, down. super down. I call the destruction at first, which is what it would be. Yeah. <laughs> destruction of my insides. Um, but, like, you know, everybody growing up in LA, like, you watch people struggle all the time to yeah. make their dreams happen, right? And then you think can convince yourself really easily that that's how it gets done, right? You put in your dues and then eventually cross your heart, hope to not die, you get whatever break yep. you're going to get. And it certainly can happen that way. But more often than not, it doesn't, you know, and people default to whatever their dream is not. 
but whatever right. they need to do to make it by. But then there's this other thing, this like golden river that flows throughout Los Angeles <laughs> that's ephemeral for sure and magical. And sometimes people get pulled into it or they jump into it and you just have to be grateful that you were blessed by the lucky river and, and you're go on it. it and not push it away. Cause sometimes I've been in the river and I'm like, I don't deserve this. And the river's like, well then here you can get out now. A hundred. Bye. And then I'm like, but I'll, I'll get back in. And it's like, but it's gone. No. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a band with our friend Ed and our friend Ed is from London and he moved to Los Angeles and he wanted to be an actor. He was a graphic designer in Los Angeles, I mean, in London. And he was just like, I want to be an actor in Los Angeles. So he moved here and he said his energy was just, he said this on the podcast, if anybody wants to go listen to his episode on his experience with ayahuasca. But he said he moved here and he was just like, this is a joke, like, this is just fun. I'm in a movie that's ridiculous. I'm just going to have fun. And immediately booked a huge sitcom role, one of the main parts. And he was like, it was because I just like was having fun. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. It's like, this is a game, right? Everything's a game in a lot of ways. Los Angeles is a game and Mm -hmm. there are games within the game, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not having fun driving in traffic and sweating because your air conditioner broke, you're not playing the game right. Right. Like it's all a joke and it's all a game. So if you want to play and win, you have to just let go of your idea that it should be one way or another. Right. Right. Especially because so much of us grew up with like, I want to be this. And it's this very like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It doesn't work that way anymore. The world's completely different. So anything you thought of when you were little, it's just not the world's a completely different place. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And speaking of that process, like one of the reasons why I just sat on the book after I wrote it was everybody was like, listen, if you want to get published, you need to send out queries to agents. You need to send out queries to publishers. You need to like get out there and just query people ad nauseum (laughs) until you're blue in the face and you're going to get rejected a thousand million times. And I was like, great, I'm not doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to do that. That sounds like death to me. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. So you're just never going to get published. And I was like, great. Then I will never get published if that's the process I have to go through. Mm. And like, look, this is not to say that the people who do that or like, this is not a judgment on people who do that. It's just I have a light that I have to cultivate and maintain inside of my spirit because if it goes dark, I'm dead. Yeah. And the thought of querying people, I could watch the light diminish inside of me. And I was like, <laughs> well, what's more important? I stay alive. Okay, that supersedes getting published like a million times yeah. over. Yeah. You know? Isn't that interesting too how do, – do you remember the day that you went to the school um, – and this person's like, what's happening with your book? Do you remember if that day you were having a little bit more fun than usual or if like you were in a different space than you had been before that suddenly the universe kind of opened this portal? You know, I just heard that I was going to be laid off, for lack of a better term. Ah. And I also was just about to start working on my first movie as the lead in a feature, which was brand new to me. And I was in a space of like, okay, typically 
what I do now historically in my life is panic when my (laughs) financial situation is changing (laughs) dramatically. However, because of the group of people that I was acting with, because of the kind of acting that I was doing, everything at that point was a game. So it was like, okay, well, that game's ending and a new game is going to begin and I don't know anything about what it looks like. But there's nothing I can do about it's it a good space. except play. Yeah, you know. And so, of course, there was that like residual, constant <laughs> panic inside of my body and inside of my mind. <laughs> that's like you need to be worried. Yeah. You need to be upset. Mm-hmm. You need to freak out. And then there was this other voice that I had started to adopt. Like you need to wonder about this. Like Mm. you need to be open. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't need to do shit. Maybe you can just be. Yep. Right. Last week, all of my friends were having mental breakdowns, like huge. I don't know why I'm here. I don't like it here. Everything's melting to the ground. Like fuck this shit. And I was in the same space. And then I saw on, you know, some stupid Instagram page I follow this quote where it said, you can literally feel when it's time to move into your life's next chapter. And I brought that to the dinner table. We all went out to dinner and I was like, we're not doing this. (laughs) It's time Mm -hmm. and we don't want to. Mm -hmm. And everyone was just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like literally – you took some chapters of your past and moved through them through writing them out. Yeah. I mean, I created the next chapter by writing the last 50 chapters. And that was an interesting experience. Say more. Well, in order to write about the past with any, like, authenticity and in my opinion, with any integrity, you have to be willing to revisit it with your current adult brain. Uh-huh. But you also have to be willing to bear witness to whatever your experience of that really was at the time, not just your analytical kind of processed brain now, but like the shitty stupid ideas that you held back then or the ideas that you created as a result. So you have to be willing to step into the past and the past can be really tricky because if you step too far in, you forget where you are now and you get swept away by it, you know? And in fact, there was a point in writing this book where exactly that happened. And it was, you know, like maybe a little bit more than midway through the book, I started to write about my experience of getting an abortion. Mm. And I hadn't fully processed all of what that experience was for me. So when I started to process it through the writing of it, I went way too far in. And I think it was six to like eight months before I picked up a pen again. And this was coming from having like being fully inspired to write every day for two and a half years. Holy shit. Yeah. So kind of just knowing in your own life, like boundaries with yourself and knowing when to, when to say that's enough. Yes. Yeah. Because I also knew that it was important not to push it. Like whatever was happening for me that made me put the pen down, 
I needed to honor that. Like yeah. I couldn't be of the mind of, well, if you're a serious writer, you know, you have to get up and you have to force yourself to write every day. Like, I hate that. I'm shit. never. I've never been about that. I've never created right. that way. It's like if it's not coming to me, I am not even gonna try to chase it. Yeah, I'm just going to run the risk of losing this thing entirely and honoring whatever moment I'm in right now, and maybe it'll come back that way. Mm. You know, and maybe it won't. And that can be a really terrifying prospect. Yeah. You know, especially if you attach yourself to an idea of an outcome, right? If I at that point I had already attached myself to an idea of a book, which is not how I started it. Oh, well, how did you start it? I just start like it just came out. Right. I just started it. So, I spoke to you on another podcast. Yeah. I have a podcast with my friend Lola called Trust Me. It's about cults. And to kind of like you, you got in a place in your life where you were looking back on it and you're like, wait, some of the shit I thought was super fun and dope and consensual, I was way too young for that oh, yeah. to be the case. Oh, I'm yeah. looking at this now and it feels like shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, an experience a lot of us have um, where you just start looking back and things kind of morph. And you were telling us on Trust Me – Somebody tried you, – you got brought to like a, a landmark meeting, right? Right. And it was nuts as <laughs> landmark meetings yes. can be. Um, and so then you were just kind of in this space of not knowing, kind of confused, and you meet this person who is all about intimacy. Right. Right. So can you walk us a little bit through what happened with that? Like you learned some good stuff through it ultimately it wasn't great but what did that initial response to all of this look like so some of this is in the book yes um towards the end but you know the initial response was basically like I had been waiting my whole life for someone to come in and guide me through everything either I had already experienced, was currently experiencing, and wanted to experience. And, you know, through reading, like, you know, Peaceful Warrior and, you know, Carlos Castaneda and Celestine Prophecy and, like, all of these very new age books that kind of center around this um, leader, mentor, teacher figure. Yeah. I was in a process my whole life looking for this kind of figure to come into mind. Same. I want somebody to come in and who's like my Olympic coach slash stage mom <laughs> slash everything. Who's like slash therapist. Yeah. Eat that. <laughs> think that like do this exercise. Yes. I get it. So yeah. this person actually come manifests. I and- mean, and he couldn't have been more quintessentially exactly what I was looking for. Somebody who was like no holds barred, really um, direct and aggressive in a way that spoke to me because again, like the narcissist in me saw myself reflected in him and the way that he could just like burst into the chase, but also like cut to his authentic anger, which was something that I at that point, like, you know, post cafe gratitude Uh, was like very like, okay, anger is an emotion that whatever we honor, but we don't live inside of it, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Here was a man who was a hundred percent like 
no, if you have anger, live inside of that. Mm. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I have anger. <laughs> and it was, the, you know, I mean, you don't get that message growing up no. in L.A. Maybe a little in New York, maybe a little in a couple other places, but not in L.A. And I'm a fucking spunky girl, mm-hmm. you know, and I had been trying to quiet that passion and that anger for my whole life because I offended people with it and hurt people's feelings with it, which is still something that I do and need to look at really seriously. But here was somebody who for the first time ever not only gave me the permission that I imagined I needed, but was exemplifying that passion in a way that directly spoke to me. So I was like, yes, I'm in. Whatever this is, Yeah, 100%. I will do whatever you say the work is. Mm-hmm. Got it. Wow. I mean, I would be the exact same. Completely. I think a lot of us would be. Yeah. And I think, you know, the funny thing about cults is like when you hear about them, because I was the same way, I studied psychology, you know, yeah. with like a focus and an emphasis on social psychology where they look at exactly these things. And so before I had the cult experience, I had this idea that, you know, people who are involved in cults are stupid or susceptible or that would never happen to me. But I also had enough background in social psychology with like, you know, learning about the Milgram experiment and authority and all of this stuff Mm -hmm. to know that, no, actually we're all susceptible to these sorts of processes. Is the Milgram experiment the the Princeton prison guards? It's not the prison guard. Oh, what one. is it? It's the so this this happened as a result of um the Nuremberg trials which is like the people who were put on right. trial who were Nazis. Yes. Right. Anyway, Stanley Milgram created this experiment on authority and in this experiment which anyone can look up and get a better idea of it (laughs) that I'm not about to give you. But basically, (laughs) it it was like he would take people of varying different backgrounds, housewives, professors, whatever, and put them in a room. And um, in another room, someone would be attached to electrodes, right? That would send electric shock through them. On the other side of... um, this apparatus that was set up would be somebody in a lab coat insisting that the experiment continue. And every time the person in the closed room would get a question wrong, an arbitrary question wrong, the person being experimented on would have to zap them, right? Even as they're hearing the other person suffering. Yes. Dramatically, even to the they point would, like, where... scream, right? Scream, and then at a certain point, there were no more screams left, and maybe the person was dying. And so it was really an experiment about authority that at the time in psychology was a, a morally valid experiment, but then afterward, they really had to take a look at the psychological trauma that they inflicted on the people that they were experimenting, not the people who were pretending to, but the people who were inflicting the pain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so anyway, with this background, I came into what was very clearly a cult. Right. Right. But still went into it and did things that maybe I knew were wrong or fucked up but i still did them right you know 
Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't dumb. No. I was a <laughs> well-educated yeah. person. And it turns out that, like, no offense to the people who left the cult really early, but a lot of the people who left were not as educated mm-hmm. as I was and some of the other people who stayed. And that worked to their advantage. Of course. Because they went with, this feels bad, mm-hmm. and I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I went with, this feels bad, and I'm going to explore that feeling or let that feeling go and jump into my intellect yep. and try to figure it out. Yeah, this feels bad, but I'm probably wrong. Right. Well, listen to the Trust Me episode if you would kind of, if you want to get more of the information, which I think is one of the most interesting conversations we've had on it about this experience for you. But for Superficial Magic, maybe let's see, because you were saying in it, like, it fucking sucked, it blew, it, it, I mean, it destroyed a lot of days for you, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's one way of putting it. Years, but totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh... But you did say there's a lot of shit I learned and a lot of processes that worked. And I'm thinking when you said that, like, oh, what were those? Like, can you share any of those with us? I would love to know some. Absolutely. So one of the things that was talked about in the cult was this idea that first got floated out by Carlos Castaneda in some of his books about erasing your personal history. And the way to do that is to um, recapitulate your past, your personal history. And so that's one of the things that we did a lot in the cult. We could take like a moment that was maybe five minutes long and we would talk about it. This is not an exaggeration for five hours. Whoa. Okay. So you would say like when I was little, this happened. Or, you know, it didn't even necessarily have to be like that. Like, listen, I was having coffee um, the other day and a person walked in and said something to the person behind the counter and I watched the person behind the counter have uh, an immediate reaction to it that they were hurt and offended, but they went about their business, right? 30-second interaction. Maybe not even one you were directly involved in. Oh. And now we're spending a five-hour session going back through all of the movements of energy that were taking place and what was actually going on there. And the result of that theoretically was to quote unquote, erase your personal history, right? So you're not carrying it around with you. So it's not like this mark on your body. So a movement of energy. Um, Can you walk me through like something that could happen and what energy would be moving inside of you because of it? Um, I can walk you through what just happened right now. Great. I started talking about that. Mm-hmm. You were fully interested in listening to mm-hmm. the story, but something hit you, right? This mm-hmm. idea of a movement of energy. And you went, oh, mm. a movement of energy. Let's talk about that. Right. Right. That's a movement of energy. I, I just extended, had a movement of, right. I did too. I extended something out here mm-hmm. in the world to the camera, to you, mm. and something hit you. And now doesn't really matter what I was saying before. Right. Now, what captured your attention mm. was a concept called movement of energy. Mm-hmm. And here we are now talking about it. Right. We're not talking about Carlos Castaneda. We're not right. talking about the cult. We're not talking right. about this fake coffee shop experience. Right. So the movement of energy would be like curiosity first. Right. It's whatever it is. Right. Right. And so the process of recapitulation is mining 
those movements of energy, mm. right? Not getting lost in the story, not getting lost in the content of what took place, but mining what were the exact movements of energy here, right? How did you stop being interested mm. in all the other things that mm -hmm. I was saying and focus in on movement of energy? Movement of energy. Because what would be in that? What would be in the details of that? Like, processes that are going on in me that I right. just wouldn't know otherwise. Right. Yeah. So it would be maybe the essence of your true nature is somewhere wrapped in there. Maybe it's part of your conditioning to be um, curious about or uh, focused on mm. things that are seemingly supernatural sounding, like movements of energy. I don't know, maybe. Who? Um, <laughs> So, so that's the sort of things that we would mine, right? Cool. Bearing witness, not just to the things that take place outside of yourself, but the things that take place outside of yourself. We would use this thing called installing the witness. So you mean the things that go inside inside of yourself, right? Right. Yeah. Installing right. the witness. Installing so that's kind witness. of a meditation term. Right. So it's like, you know, whatever it is that you're participating in me participating in this conversation, that I don't get so lost in the conversation that I forget what's even happening five minutes afterwards. I have installed a witness inside of me mm. in the panel of my mind or my consciousness that follows me along in these moments that can track everything that's going on, right? If you said something awful to me and I had a feeling, mm. right, I would be the Natasha experiencing the feeling I would also be the Natasha witnessing the Natasha experiencing the feeling. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. That's the danger is that this shit makes sense. It does make sense. It all, there's always truth hidden in it, isn't there? There really is. How did you find yourself changing after mining these details? You have the witness now. So you're just not like even if you're pissed or if you're sad or whatever, you have some space around it because you're the witness. You're not the the person like – getting shit on by the storm. Is that kind of what happened? Outside of the cult, yes. Gotcha. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Inside of the cult, not really. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, me leaving the cult was exactly the work that I was trying to do in the cult. Well, say more about that. So... Part of what we were being taught, let's say, was um, this concept that the leader would constantly kind of shove into our minds as what is actual, right? So reality is fallible because reality is subjective in a lot of ways. But there's this idea that he used called you know what is actual which is like what is taking place outside of you like the things that were happening where you were became more important than who you were in that moment okay. right so but a lot of the work that we were doing in the cult was like trying to figure out who we were and how do we form those ideas and all of this stuff when it became apparent that where I was I didn't have the language for this at the time but when it became apparent that where I was was not an okay place, right, was a cult, I left right. despite the conditioning 
of four years of being in this group setting that this was the only place to do the work or this was the necessary place to do the work or the primary place to do the work when the people in there were no longer behaving as my friends right the conditioning of them being my friends no longer mattered so when i left i did in a lot of ways i was responding to what was actual right this is not a good place for me yeah people are treating me poorly i'm treating other people poorly you know, yeah. I've left my family, you know, mm. that's, that was something I did intentionally. Yeah. But whatever my original intention for leaving them had been complete. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't, ha- I didn't have that need anymore to remove myself from my family in order to understand how my family directly influenced my conditioning. Right. 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 So I left. And once I left and I did this thing that ironically was exactly what I was being taught to do in the cult, I recapitulated the last or the first, really, the first 50 encounters of my sexual erotic life. That's so, so the book became the, the kind of work. The book was everything it was like the way that I could actually do what I had learned to do because fortunately and unfortunately the practices that were being taught had value of course it was just the manner through which they were being taught was not valuable was not interesting was not good was not beautiful was not reliable yeah but the idea behind it the theory all of that stuff was great and if you could practice that in a safe way fantastic right but if you're practicing it with a sociopath that's not safe i don't care if he never told you to kill anyone yet or yourself Mm -hmm. it's leading up to something exactly so I know that the experience that you had in the cult isn't something that you really want to relive, but there is some some gold in there. So I'm just wondering, this was a cult about intimacy. What was intimacy supposed to be? Okay, so I'll start with what intimacy was not supposed to be. Thank you. In the sense that, you know, we were, the distinction was made really early on that sex and intimacy are not synonymous with one another. Okay. Right. So you can have sex with a person and it is not an intimate experience. I think a lot of people have lived in and experienced that. Yes. And you can be intimate with somebody without having sex. Yes. Right. Intimacy in the cult was described as, you know, being with someone as they are to themselves while you are as you are to yourself. Right. So taking someone at their experience of life. Does that make sense? Completely. So you're both authentically in the moment with each other. Right. As you're actually experiencing that moment. Absolutely. So no fuming on the inside, no getting... No, 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 no. Oh, you You can. can fume on the inside. Oh, good. But intimacy is extending that forward and say, listen, I'm really in my head right now. Like right now I'm really in my head because I want you to get this idea clearly. Right. And so I'm worried that I'm not going to be um, as articulate as sometimes I am off camera. Right, right. Right? Yeah. I 
I have that story playing out in my head as I'm simultaneously trying to describe this to you. Absolutely. But if I was just going to sit here worried about all of that and not extend it forward to you, I'm not actually being intimate with you in the moment. I'm not letting you in on what's going on with me. Right. Right. There's no, in intimacy, there's no good or bad, right? It's neutral as long as you can extend yourself. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Completely. So, yeah, I mean, right now I'm in my head because I want to ask you the right questions (laughs) to make you say it the exact way that you want to say it. And so you're just kind of giving the other person an opportunity to know you. Yes. And you... It's important to have another willing party, right? The other person has to be willing to take you as you are to yourself, not in the way that they have already decided you are, right? If you come into something with preconceived notions, right? If I come into a meeting with you and I'm like, oh, Megan is a fucking hippie weirdo who doesn't care about anything serious. She's just into superficial magic. Yeah. Then I I don't get to learn anything about you. Yep. Right? Yep. I don't leave any room for you to show up as you are in the moment. Right. Right. I've already decided. So what's the point of even being with you? Right. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So if we're gonna have an intimate experience, whether it's sexual, whether it's an interview, whether it's, you know, high fiving each other, we both have to be willing to take each other. Not as I see you, but as you see you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. One of the things that, that we always say on the Trust Me podcast that really has changed how I think about everything because I'm, a ve- I'm very much into the spiritual community and I can, you know, everybody has a different take on the way it should be done. And some people are very much like, it's this way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've started to learn that it's never this way. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And you just need to stay open, even if it's a relationship. Like if you have a person that you're in a relationship where it's just like, it's this way, that's not good. You know, Um, you you have to have more than one thing. So I'm just throwing that out there for anyone who needs to hear it. (laughs) I certainly did. Uh, You know, it shouldn't be guru maybe as much as gurus and just your own inner guidance and many different perspectives, I think is very necessary. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just said about inner guidance is sort of the lead there. For sure. You know, for sure. Because the inner guidance will scream at you. Yeah. And if you're not listening and you're willing to suspend that, or like they say in Landmark, um, (laughs) we're inviting you to suspend your beliefs for, I don't know, this session, that's dangerous, you know, and it's the way it's phrased is so neutral good (laughs) Mm -hmm. that as an intellectual person or as an explorer or even as an adventurer, right? A person with a passionate adventurous spirit, you're like invited to, oh, okay. I'll go. You know, but that language is super specific because it's intended to break you down in a neutral way, right? Exactly. So yeah, if you always lead with inner guidance and you listen to it, then like gurus, schmurus. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You are the guru. You are your own guru. As Tony Robbins' documentary said, 
I am not your guru. <laughs> Where then he just said, I'm your guru for an hour and a half. Um, yeah. So I want to just kind of get into how somebody takes their life and is this vulnerable with it? This intimate with it, because obviously that was something you were trying to learn. I mean, this book is the whole truth and nothing but the truth from my perspective. <laughs> I don't see how there could be. A, well, I wonder if my lovers will feel the same. That's <laughs> what I was going to ask. Like, how do you how do you give yourself permission? As you were saying, like you were looking for permission because we don't need permission. But how did you get through all those blocks and just be like, I'm writing about people. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. This is my experience. And I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, one thing I tried to do in writing, and I was really serious about this with myself, was I tried to not get into the feeling mm. of a thing. And I don't know if that actually comes across necessarily in the writing. But, like, I, I tried to keep the tone as sort of nonchalant and neutral as possible I see. Mm -hmm. because memories are really fallible we know this right and most of the time our memories are shaped by our feelings right right and we remember a feeling of a thing before we remember the thing itself necessarily so you know in certain occasions in writing about the thing, I would name the feeling, but I wouldn't write from a place of that feeling. Right, right. And that was my attempt to remain as neutral as possible. Like, even if I was saying, you know, that guy was a fucking asshole, I would try to, <laughs> <laughs> I would try to say it in a way, like, not that it was a truth. I would say... I thought that guy was a fucking asshole. Yeah. Right? Which is different than making the statement of the guy's a fucking asshole. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, you know, there is the vulnerability there of exposure, right? You're exposing your thoughts and feelings, but you're also exposing a, the process through which you feel the feelings. I'm feeling that feeling through my mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Through this idea that I've created that this guy's a fucking asshole. And now you, hopefully, as a reader, will see, oh, she thinks this. Yes. Not it is that. Right. Does that make sense? Complete sense. Has anybody contacted you? From a the couple book? people. Oh, shit. But not any of the bad ones. <laughs> okay, great. Like, what's, like somebody's um, like, oh, fun. Well, I had a friend... Um, write me after he read his chapter and first of all he was like I can't believe you gave me the most backwards Alabama hillbilly ass name in the world I love it <laughs> and he said something that was really interesting he said I remember that night a little differently and that's exactly how it happened like how you described it is exactly how it happened which I thought was really interesting wording you know interesting. but it was really also beautiful because he was the first person who had a direct relationship to the story. Wow. And was being described of and said, I remember it differently. And that's how it happened. You know? 
Well, I was telling you yesterday, David Sedaris is my favorite writer ever. <laughs> and I love that you're this female version, just taking it in this sexual LA, growing up in LA, a whole different world than I experienced growing up in Wichita, Kansas, I can assure you. I can and only imagine. Yeah, it's just like watching your favorite reality show, reading the best book. It's You guys have to get it. Um it's on Amazon, obviously. I ordered the paperback because I want it by it's my It's not back. in hardcover yet, but it's it just paperback. Be. It will be. To kind of close out, I'm just wondering if there's any, and you can take a second to think about this because this is kind of an Oprah-y question. And she gives them the question before she interviews them, unlike me who's just throwing it at you. Is there any life lessons or quotes or anything you want to leave us with that you think – Damn, this helped me. <laughs> no. Great. <laughs> there are no life lessons in my book. Yep. There are no, this is going to help you. Yep. There's no, there is some like unsolicited advice, <laughs> but like I specifically call it unsolicited because I know nobody fucking asked me. Yep. I really want to stay away from that as best as I can because all it is is 50 stories. And I am actually not Chiguru. So. And I'll just end with saying I once went to a Tony Robbins conference. It lasted two days and he made me walk across hot coals. Did he also make you pay thousands of dollars yeah, for that but it was weird because my friend had an extra ticket so somebody else paid. someone paid. yeah yeah yeah. someone yeah. always pays and like it's just crazy how how nuts people are there like they really really love it so landmark tony robbins not sponsoring the podcast anymore <laughs> that's fine <laughs> or maybe now they will or maybe now they will natasha you're brilliant please buy her book Please come back to the podcast Absolutely. as soon as you're back in LA. And we hope that you have the most magical week of Vibe your life. higher, bitch. Bye. Vibe higher. Tipping. Vibe higher, bitch. Bye. Vibe higher. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.